you. All right, I was waiting for the nod and I got it. <laughs> Psalm 41, just uh, keep that open. We won't really be there too long. Uh, but I want to just uh, start off the message tonight by referencing that. And then I'm going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 15, if you have that. Uh, good to see you in church tonight. Uh, you know, the, whether the crowd is up or down never bothers me. I just always feel that the right people who are meant to be there will be there. And... Uh, you know, I'm used to speaking to smaller groups in Thailand. It doesn't bother me one little bit. Uh, sometimes we just have the most amazing experiences in the most unusual places uh, with just a small group of people. You know, you just, you never know just when the Holy Spirit is just going to come and really set his presence on a particular meeting or a particular place. But it is a joy when it happens, let me tell you that. Uh, Curtis was just remarking to me today, or was it yesterday, uh, about a meeting we had in a, a provincial area in the northeast of Thailand a few months ago in the province of Loyette, uh, which itself is sort of a little bit in the sticks, but we weren't, we weren't even in the main city of that place. We were just way, way out. And uh, I uh, was to preach a meeting there and there was just, we met outside and uh, it was really hot and there was a, there was a roof. I was under a, a roof, but not everybody else was, uh, but just outside, you know, uh, and I guess there was maybe a hundred people there or less, but oh my, uh, how God just blew on us in that meeting. Just uh, over that uh, two or three days, we just had a marvellous meeting. Uh, uh, really, you know, we, we bandy the word life-changing around, but it, it was pretty close to life-changing. Just a wonderful time. And I've seen that, uh, you know, God is no respecter of persons. And that's a tremendous thing. There, there, there is nobody who can't have the blessing of God and can't have the presence of God and what they do. Uh, I remember uh, when I moved out of home when I was uh, about 17. So I, I just got my license, I moved out of home and I moved into a caravan in a caravan park at Kalanga. Uh, I, I don't think it'd be there anymore. It used to be up near Alma Park and that's not there anymore. But uh, I moved into the caravan up there. It was, it was rent a caravan, you know, it was pretty ragged. Uh, but it was my first time living away from home. Uh, but I just felt a liberty that there was no longer anything restricting me. I could pray when I wanted to and no one was going to stop me. Uh, I had some difficulty at home sometimes uh, reading the Bible and praying. It often be interrupted, maybe sometimes purposely. Uh, but I remember reading and praying, and I remember reading the biography of D.L. Moody. Uh, it was a little paperback, and uh, I came to the part where, uh, you know, it was quoted that, that, I think it was quoted that Moody had read, but it was quoted, this simple little quote that said, the world is yet to see what God can do with one man wholly committed unto him. And uh, I remember, and you know, I'd, I'd never heard that referenced in a sermon. I've heard it referenced several times since. But it just arrested my attention. And here I was, uh, 17 years old, in the caravan, uh, in that wretchedy caravan park, with the shared toilets and showers, you know, and all of that. But, but just powerfully, God arrested my heart when I read that. And I believe that. I, I absolutely believe that that could be true. That God was looking for people to believe him and uh, to, to commit to him and that those people could have great blessing on their life. And I still believe that tonight. Uh, one of the things the devil tries to do is steal our faith. And he tries to steal our faith and crush our hope. 
because uh, the warfare is principally in your mind, uh, as in that's a battleground. If he can assail you in your mind, he can weaken you in your resolve. And uh, so, so uh, don't let good things and God things be stolen from you. Uh, keep believing what God can do. And uh, because it's true, God hasn't changed. So I, I've seen God work in amazing ways in different parts of the world. And uh, I'm someone who still believes God can do that. Uh, I, I believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think that uh, we do not fully understand the blessings of our church age. And uh, because we were birthed into it and we didn't know anything different, but there was a time where every believer did not have the Holy Spirit. And you have to understand that. There, there was a time where you lived out your faith to the best of your ability, uh, but you were not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Uh, he came upon certain ones in the Old Testament and he could come and he could leave. And he would come on certain ones, but... But it wasn't that everybody had uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, he was, he was present on earth, but you might say somewhat uh, in the same way that the Father was and that the Son was. Uh, he was present periodically, uh, but it wasn't until Pentecost that the Holy Spirit was given in a way that had not happened before. And he was, he was given that every believer would be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And uh, every believer, believer had the stirring of their spirit by his spirit. And every believer had the potential to, to see great things being done by God through them, but also in their midst. Uh, remarkable things were said that were not said elsewhere. Like where two or three gather in my name, there am I in the midst. Well, that was new. That wasn't said to other people. And so the church age is a very unique time and it's about to end. Uh, when, the church age, when will the church age end? The church age will end at the rapture of the church. And uh, at that point when believers are called up to be with Jesus, the Holy Spirit will be withdrawn. Uh, and now he will still work during the tribulation, but it'll be more like he worked in the Old Testament. It will not be this way. Uh, there, there will not be churches like this in the tribulation period, and there will not be churches like this in the millennial reign when Jesus will rule and reign out of Jerusalem and all nations will go there and to worship and present before him and those faithful saints who have been faithful uh, will be given cities by which they'll rule over. Uh, but uh, it's now uh, that the Holy Spirit is here in our midst and uh, he's in the book. I just spoke to someone who just got back from a tour of Israel and uh, Brother Mansour and he's only been back a month or so. And first time, I said, what did you find? I said, was it a spiritual experience? And he said, not really. And I, I kind of knew that was the answer. Uh, he said, it was interesting. It helped me to learn. It helped me to, you know, get clarity about things, places, locations. Uh, but there's a di distinct sense of God is not in the land. Don't go to Israel looking for a spiritual experience you'll get a more spiritual experience here in church. I mean that. It is not what you think. He has withdrawn from the land. Now, he'll get involved again in the tribulation period. But right now, he's, he's, you, you don't feel it. You don't go there and have this sense of there's just this present, special presence of God in this place. There's not. Because he's not. Right now, he's in the church. And we are, we are living in the last days of the church on the earth. And I absolutely believe, not too far away, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back for us. And what I want to say to you is that it's not just independent Baptists saying that. 
there are, there are uh, Pentecostal brethren who believe the Bible who are saying the same thing. Uh, there, there, are, there are others who are Bible believers who are saying the same thing. And what I'm saying is there's a collective awakening going on with all believers who believe the Bible and who have the Holy Spirit that Jesus is coming back soon. And, and, and you need, it's true. Now, I've heard people say, and I've heard them say in America last year, and I hear them say periodically, you know, people have been saying that Jesus has been coming back since blah, blah, blah. And I get that because I'm old enough to have been through those times. I remember in 1988, everybody thought Jesus was coming, not everybody, but, but there was a commotion that people thought Jesus was coming back in 1988. And there was a lineup of the planets and there were tracks written. And, and if you were back in that era, you know, it was a talk of that. And, uh, you know, we go, mm, yeah, yeah, but if you'd been there, I mean, it was a, that's how they were talking. And then we got to the year 2000 and it was going to be, you know, 2000. And then, you know, I, and I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've been through that. And I understand what you're saying that people have said. I remember George Francis saying to me, brother, I... I don't think I'm going to die. I'm, I, I'm sure he's going to come back soon. Sorry, Brother George, but you're probably not sorry. You know, you're probably not sorry. You're probably glad you're there and you didn't wait. Uh, but, but that's okay. But I'm telling you, there's definitely a movement of God going on globally where God's people are getting a distinct sense of the urgency of the hour that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back soon. And I absolutely believe that is testimony of the Holy Spirit to churches to tell us it's going to happen. And I'm certain of that. And, uh, you know, and, and I don't need to win to win. So if it happens in a few years, you go, oh, Pastor Shemish was right. Well, that's lovely. I, you know, right, it doesn't mean anything to me to be right. I'm just telling you it's going to happen. Whether you believe or not, it's going to happen. So why are you telling us? to be aware, to get ready, to live right, to understand the character of the age we live in. And one of the characteristics of our age was that it was going to become more Laodicean uh, and more lukewarm and less spiritual as we got near the coming of Christ. But that doesn't mean you have to be that way, right? It's not like an automatic, a given. It's just saying that's the prevailing environment of the day. So, I want to talk tonight to spiritual people about unspiritual people. And so, Psalm 41 that we, uh, uh, Danny read to us, Psalm 41, I believe, uh, is a psalm that pertains to uh, some of the things that happened uh, to David uh, in his life. And I think it has to do with some events in David's life. And when you read the Psalms or when you read anything in the Word of God, take it literally. Like, take it literally like God just said it. Like, if you heard God say something to you, you know, you just receive it as he said it. And the Word of God is just full of very plain statements that the people of God seem to miss or spiritualize over. It just sort of, it doesn't seem to resonate. And, you know, one of them is just right off given in verse 1. I'm not going to exegete the whole psalm, but, you know, verse 1 of Psalm 41, and David was this person, blessed is he that considereth the poor. Right? Well, that's pretty plain. And this is what it says. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Well, did you ever connect that? Blessed is the person who's got a heart for the poor, who cares about the poor, who gave to the poor. Because that person, God said, when they have their trouble, I will deliver them. It's pretty plain, but it's pretty amazing. This is what I was talking the other day about streams of blessing. Is getting into that and saying, well, okay, the poor matter to God. And when you, when you remember the poor and take care of the poor and you 
help the poor, you're banking away for your own day of trouble. Does that make sense? It's a sensible thing to do. Don't worry if it's not in fashion, if it's not the fad, just do it. And uh, missions is one of the ways you do that. Don't, don't give up on missions. Don't stop giving to missions. Because missions is a way we help the poor. I could stand up here for two hours and talk to you about how we help the poor, where we are, and what we do, and the lives that, that got changed, and how those poor people were helped. And, and I, could, I could talk, I could tell you, I could stand up here a long time. But we never have a long time when we come up here. And so, you know, I don't get to tell, I don't get to rev you up about missions and say, hey, would you please not forget? Would you please not just sort of get tired of mission support and let it sort of just drop off? Because, you know, I can't call you from over there and say, you seem to have forgotten us. But nor can I get up here every time I'm here and plead the case. So there's a certain amount of that. I just, we just have to trust your spirituality and say, you should just know what you should do. Anyway, Psalm 41, David talks about uh, what I think was his own situation. And um, this extraordinary psalm, he said the Lord will preserve him in verse number two. And uh, end of verse number two, the Lord will not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. One of the things that shocks the Thai churches is when I tell them we have enemies because their passive nice nature doesn't like to think bad about anybody and, and everybody goes sort of super quiet and a little bit grim when you even mention enemies. But I want to tell you the church has enemies and, and you should understand that. The men of God have enemies. They do. And you say, well, I, I don't hear about that. It's because they don't tell you. I, I know that Brother Skelly, who was here in this pulpit a few days ago, has been assailed by enemies many times. I know there are people who want to see him fall in his ministry fall. I know there are people who wish ill intent on what he does. Now, I'm just telling you that because that's someone you just had here. And I know what I'm telling you is true. I could tell you about Doug Fisher. So, oh, I think everyone loved Brother Fisher. There are some people who don't. He's had some enemies. He still has them. He has people saying, well, yeah, he got what he deserved. He has people slandering him. He has people telling stories. One of the, one of the, 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 the easiest ways to try to attack a preacher is to look for the low ground. And they'll say things like, do you know how much he gets paid? And that's just an attempt to make, to stir something up. To, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bottom feeder, low life, sling off at somebody because you've got nothing else you can say. And that's a common, and, and, and he's been attacked that way. And, and, and I'm just saying, the people of God do have enemies. And, and we need to understand that. And don't be like the ties where you just, oh, that's just a horrible thought. Well, it kind of is, but we say it because if, by being aware, we can be guarded. And look, if you, if you knew your family had enemies, what would you do? You'd say, well, I'm going to keep an eye on the kids. I'm going to make sure I know where they are. I'm just going to be a little bit alert to what's happening because I don't want anyone getting into my family, bro. Well, Right. And same with the church. We have to be careful. And David had enemies. And David's a great saint of God. And he's a man of God. And, you know, everybody talks about David. And we, 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 we learn and we're inspired by every good thing David did. But he had enemies. He had them in his day. And I'm trying to say it happens. And it's not unusual. And don't presume someone did something wrong because they have an enemy. Just understand, yeah, yeah, the devil does that. So he talks about stuff that happens in Psalm 41. And I think it connects back to where I'm going to look at in Samuel. Um, things that people said about him. 
And it's really awful, to be honest, when you read it. It's kind of awful because I can't help but reading it and go, yeah, that's what people do. In verse number 9, he talks about a betrayer. Can you see that? He said, my own familiar friend, my close friend, who ate with me at my table. That's shocking. So some of his enemies weren't far out. They'd been in rather close. Uh, and he said, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, you know, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. And I think that's referring to Ahithophel. And I'm going to look at Ahithophel and talk to you about Ahithophel. But I think it's referring to Ahithophel. Now you say, who was Ahithophel? Go, go, go back to uh, 2 Samuel 15. Uh, and, I, you know, we'll select verses to get a picture. But Ahithophel, the first thing you can say, he was, he was of the people of God. So, listen, Ahithophel was not a Philistine. Why are you saying that? Because the Philistines were always warring against the people of God. But that was external. This is all the worse because it was internal. And internal fighting does far more damage than external. Internal demoralizes us. Internal saddens us. Internal zaps our energy and wars on our hope and discourages us when it's internal, and, uh, and this was internal. Ahithophel was a counsellor of David's who was in his inner circle. Are you listening? Uh, and would have ate with him and, and would have seen the things that were blessed in David's ministry and leadership. He was part of all that. Uh, he was considered very important, uh, and Ahithophel... I think, was that familiar friend. By the way, the same text is used to talk about Judas. You know, you know, you know Judas. This, this, he's, he was also the familiar friend who ate bread at his table. Remember that? The one I give the sop to. Remember that? Judas was that. In the Bible, betrayers are down there at the lowest, lowest levels of the low. They're, they're, they are the pits. They are the people who turn against goodness and God. Lucifer was one of them. Lucifer hovered over the throne of God, the anointed cherub. And uh, the Bible says, Oh, how art thou cast down, Lucifer who sought to lift himself up above the Most High. And uh, a betrayer is about the worst thing a person can be. And you're going to see that betrayers always meet awful ends and, uh, and, you know, God has some things to say about that. So Ahithophel is his trusted counsellor. Now what happened here, if you look at uh, second. Samuel chapter 15, look at verse 12. So Absalom, David's wicked son, probably the kid who never got spanked, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, the favoured son, Absalom turned against his own dad, right? And he didn't just say, shut up, dad. He didn't, it was worse than that. He wanted to kill his father. Now that's abhorrent in God's eyes and it ought to be abhorrent in man's eyes. I thank God for people I've met who had difficult dads and I can see they did but I never heard a word from their mouth bad-mouthing their own fathers. Three cheers for people like that. I know some. I know some. And I know what happened to them. And I've never heard a word come from their mouth say one negative thing about their own father. And I've got to commend people like that who, uh, who just have that kind of respect. 
that says to me that person's godly because they get it. There's a holy, there's a holy God-given relationship you know, between a father and a son or father and children or mother and children. And the Bible speaks unto the importance of respect and obedience and how it even affects your longevity on the earth. So, so Absalom turns against his own father. Have you got it? Verse 12. And he sends for Ahithophel, uh, the Gilonite, David's counsellor. Can you see that? And he gets him. And the Bible says, because there's now a, there's a rebellion going on. And I told you before, it's not external, it's internal. This is sickening. This is sickening. Division in the church should make you sick. You should, division in the church should be appalling. Do you understand? You've got a right to look at that and say that's appalling. Division in the church. And, uh, and there's a division going on amongst the people of God. By the way, the enemies are still out there. And now the people of God are going to tear themselves apart. And it's sickening. And it's everything contrary to what the Bible said. Brother Fisher talked about preserving the bonds of unity in the spirit. And we all have a duty to do that. But when someone's ungodly or, or has an agenda, uh, they often violate that. And sometimes even unsaved people come amongst us who masquerade as being saved. Do you believe that? You should. It's in the Bible. It said in 1 John chapter 2, is it 18, 19? Uh, they went out from us because they were not of us. Because if they'd been of us, they surely would have continued with us. But they went out from us, he says, to show us that they were not of us. Don't, don't doubt that that happens, right? You better, you better remember that. They, they come amongst us. I started, a church in, I started a church in Thailand. God started a church in Thailand where we had no members. And I started with one or two people I'd personally led to Christ. And we started off meeting in a lounge room, uh, you know, just a few plastic chairs in the lounge room. And then we graduated to a rented building. A few more people were saved. And then we eventually graduated to a building that many of you have helped us with, where we now do church. And, and you know, the beauty of it was that these people were coming out of uh, Buddhism, mostly. And they, no, no one came to us from... Uh, any other place, you know, it was just, it was very pure is what I'm trying to say. It was nice, it was pure, it was very authentic and real. But as we grew, did you think we were not going to be accosted? Did, did you think it would not happen? Even there, they started coming in amongst us. And, and they sat amongst us. And, and they were not of us, but they were amongst us. And they changed the tone of our meeting. You, you could feel their, their presence. You could feel that they were not in accord. They were not in unity. They were, they, were, they were not of us. And it found its way even over there. And I thought even over here, it and it finds its way everywhere because it's a tactic of the enemy. And, and you have to be aware of that. And I know, you know, you're all nice people and we don't ever want to think sort of un kindly about anyone we want to give everyone the benefit of trust and but but I'm you're naive if you don't understand that happens in the church they come in amongst us and uh, and they can sit here dormant for many years before they truly reveal what they are and that's more dangerous because they've built up uh, certain connections and uh, you say who well I don't know I can, if you want me to, I can fire a few names out and I could be right or I could be wrong. It's probably not appropriate. But just believe me, it happens, right? It happens. 
And so, so the counselor was there, and the end of verse number 12, the conspiracy was strong. There was a, there was a conspiracy in amongst God's people to destroy leadership, to destroy God's people, and, uh, and uh, it was growing, and Absalom's support was growing. And so now Ahithophel is in that. So let's explain Ahithophel. Ahith- what, what, and this is the best I think we can explain it. Why did Ahithophel turn against David? And by the way, any time you turn against a man of God, you're on the wrong side of history. You're about to be written up in the wrong column. Do you know what I'm saying? You're on the wrong side of the ledger. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, Ahithophel's on the wrong side of the ledger here. And what happens is Ahithophel, the Bible tells us, is the father of Eliam, which is not meaning anything to any of you, but Eliam is the father of Bathsheba. Uh, you, you, know, you know Bathsheba? So seemingly Bathsheba, who David took, remember that with, Hit, with uh, Uriah the Hittite and everything that happened? Hello? Seemingly uh, Bathsheba is Ahithophel's granddaughter. Right? So you know what happened. So clearly the family of Ahithophel and himself felt very aggrieved by what happened. And I think we'd say, well, brother, it was grievous. And probably felt deeply violated. Why did you do this to my family? Why did you do this? And any time something touches our family, it really touches us. But Ahithophel will err here. So, so he's aggrieved. And number, number I, I want to just talk to you about what happens here. First thing I just want to point out as a point is personal hurt changed his spirituality. And don't underestimate the power of personal hurt to alter someone's spirituality. People who were spiritual can become very unspiritual when personal hurt touches them. Now, I'm not making light of hurt because hurt is hurt. And, I, and I've, I've, you know, we, it's me, but we've all been hurt. I've had very hurtful things, including with the family. Uh, where, where, you know, you see something happen with one of the family. And, uh, and you, 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 of course you get hurt. And, and, and I'm just trying to say to you that at that point you're on dangerous ground. Okay, your hurt is understandable. But you've now got to, you, I'm talking to the spiritual tonight. You've got to, you've got to watch your conduct when you get hurt. You've got to watch what you do when you get hurt, okay? Because some people get hurt and they go off like a firecracker and they just, man, it all comes out and suddenly they're bad-mouthing everybody and they want the world to know and uh, they, they get on a cause. Never mind about what's true or not, it doesn't matter anymore because they're hurt. So they're just going to, it's all going to come out. And there's a real danger that when you get hurt, that's an attack upon your spirituality. You understand that? Now, if a Philistine hurts you, you'll probably go, uh, you know, Philistines, can't stand them. And you might handle it a bit okay. In fact, you may not be surprised. But when you get hurt from within side, the brethren, well, that's powerful on your psyche. Are you, are you listening? Because this is talking to you. You who got hurt. You who trusted someone and that trust was turned against you. I'll never forget, I'll never forget in my life when I was 20 years old, going through a horrendous real time of upheaval in my life, met a preacher in a church. It wasn't a Baptist, but I met a preacher in a church uh, had this had this thought that you can tell preachers everything, and so you know shared 
multiple personal things, struggle, few problems, this, that, and appreciated his counsel, and that was all good until something happened that he got angry with me, and so he held a meeting and, and read out everything I told him in a public forum. And the idea was to show everyone how bad I really was. Uh, but all of that had been said in confidence. Well, what do you feel when that happens? Would you be shocked if the pastor did that to you? It, you know, whether you were deserving or not, imagine the shock. And it, it just, it just, it was almost like my mind would not compute. My mind was saying, Christians don't do this. Pastors don't do this. This, this doesn't happen. They don't do this. They, but it was happening and they were doing it. It was happening. And it, it was, there was deep hurt there. And, and that's not the, that was one time. I'm just trying to say to you that when you get really hurt, your spirituality is going to be challenged. And that's a separating point between the spiritual and the unspiritual. The unspiritual will default to the flesh. So they'll talk a lot. They'll, they'll say things about people. It's going to come up at home. They're going to have conversations about it. They're not going to control themselves. They're going to say it in front of the kids. And by the way, you're a maniac if you do that because you're really damaging your children. The person you're bad-mouthing is not being damaged, but your kids are being damaged. And you'll get, you're, you're venting and your kids are thinking, yeah, churches are bad. Yeah, yeah, people are bad. And, and you're just tearing them down. We had a rule in our house to never, ever discuss anything about anybody to do with the church in front of our children. The only things we ever said were good things. And uh, anything else, we kept private and kept it in. So when you get hurt, it challenges your spirituality by the way, Ahithophel is going to die in an ungodly way and his death, is, his death is listed and I'll end by pointing it out but it's listed to show you God's disapproval with him. But do you know if, if, if what I have suggested is true that Ahithophel being the father of Eliam who is the father of Bathsheba, do you know what that meant? Bathsheba was the mother of Solomon. You know that. Solomon is regarded as Israel's greatest king. That means the great-grandson of Ahithophel was going to be Israel's greatest king. And, and what was, what was an awful sin against his family, God turned it into an elevation of one of his own. But he never saw it. He never saw it because he destroyed himself over the event and never saw the hand of God turn it into good. And that's the danger, that the hurt, what, you, what you'll feel, will cause you to act very ungodly. And can I, can I call the people of God back to godliness? Can I, can I, can I, call, can I call you back tonight to Kindness. Can I say stop speaking harsh to people? You know, because when enough people just speak harshly, you start speaking harshly and a tone develops that is just not really very kind. And stop it because that's ungodly. Your harsh tone, your harsh words are ungodly. I don't care what you do. If you're just over life, go and have a holiday and, get, and fix it up. But drop it. Drop the harsh tones. Drop the callous, sarcastic comments. Have, have a bit of thought about the way you speak to someone. Someone misses church for a service on Sunday night and we say, where were you last Sunday? Like that's not going to bother them. And if they're already feeling a bit out of it and you say that, so where were you last Sunday? Pie car, you know. What do you think they're going to do? Get more motivated about being in church. Do you, know, do you understand what I'm saying? Your harshness is foolishness. 
you play into the pain. Why don't you say, oh, mate, missed you last Sunday. You doing okay? You know, why don't you say something kind? I, I get concerned. You know, I've picked up a tone change in Australia that just is not pleasant. And I, I've picked it up outside, but I've picked a little bit up inside as well. And I just think that needs to stop. Speak kindly to people. Even if you've got to say something, you can do it in a kind way. Just stop. You know you know, the problem is? problem is you're not coping with life and you can't handle what you're doing and you've just getting so worked up about what you're doing, it all explodes under everybody else. You know, get yourself right. Get yourself fixed up. Be godly. And, and speak kindly like Jesus would want you to speak. Don't speak harshly. And have some decency. You know, that's Christianity basic. But we have to just pull ourselves back to that sometimes. People matter. You know, a harsh word that drives someone out is, is foolishness. That person might have been recoverable. That person, if you just had been patient and kind, you can't make their life decisions, but they just, they might have been recoverable. It matters. Be careful when you get hurt that your spirituality starts to unfold and you, you, you get gossipy, you talk and you tell stories and... You know, hurt should never be the thing that drives your decisions. Yeah, there's a, that's a big one right there. Hurt should not be the thing that determines your decisions. I'm leaving. I've had him. I've had her. You know, hurt. I've been on the roster for six months and I haven't been asked to do one solo. There's a reason. You know, I'm just saying, like, you get hurt. I was this and, you know, I've been coming here for that long and I just get ignored. He got up and thanked everybody else and left me out. You know. I, I remember the day years ago that Curtis used to work the sound desk and someone got up and I don't know who it was, it doesn't matter, but, but went through and decided to thank everybody at the sound desk. And you know how it is when you start naming everybody, you always miss somebody. So it's a real bad thing to do because well, once you start, there's no coming back from that. And so I don't know who it was. We got up and said, I want to thank so-and-so. I want to thank so-and-so and so-and-so at the sound desk and so-and-so and so-and-so. And, uh, and, and only one person got left out. <laughs> and I remember just, you know, having that discussion at home. And I said, well, that's good. You're going to have to get used to that. Because that's exactly what happens. You'll get forgotten, you'll get overlooked, you know. Someone will walk right past you to greet someone else and didn't even say hello to you and all that stuff happens. And you've got to be spiritual. You've got to be spiritual when it happens. Don't become a Hithophel, all right? Next, next thing is this. Doing wrong to avenge a wrong is never right. Doing wrong to avenge a wrong is never right. Was Hithophel offended against? Yes. Was he wronged? Yes. But what he did was more wrong or as wrong. And it's never right to do wrong to try to avenge yourself. And when you say Christianity, yes, the basics. Dearly beloved, Romans 12, avenge not yourselves. Well, surely that's for somebody else. It's for you. It's for you. It's conduct. It's God saying this is godly conduct. Don't avenge yourself. Now, that doesn't mean that you put a hit out on someone, but you put a verbal hit out on them. Or you, you, you make it a point to do something aggravating, to just send it back their way a little bit. You know what you are? You're childish. You're immature and you're not spiritual. It doesn't matter what they did. You're supposed to be above that. He said, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Do you know what that means? Okay, wrath is coming. Wayne, let it go. Let it go. And, and as it passes me, thoughts of what I would like to do to that person, a swirl in my head, but let it go. 
let it go. Just, just let it go. Give place to wrath. Let it go. I don't have to. Let it go. Let it go. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now, now you either believe that or you don't. You say you believe it, but you don't. Because you believe vengeance is yours. And you must repay. And you take it into your hands because you don't trust God. You don't believe God will take care of it. Or you don't believe that God will do it well enough. Or you don't believe God. And that's them like you want to. So you take it on yourself. And that's what Ahithophel did. And I'm just, I'm just saying, this is ungodly conduct. And, and, and if you want to measure the kind of Christian you are, measure it by these things. What do you do when you get hurt? What do you and your wife talk about when something negative happens at church? What are your children hearing? When you get with a group of disgruntled people, what do you do? All of that is revealing your spirituality. And godly people... Don't do wrong to avenge a wrong in their life. Ungodly people do. Ungodly people do. People, people, people who are ungodly and unspiritual and probably unsaved do all kinds of things. Well, I'm going to ring up and dob them in for this. Well, off you go. You, 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 your accountability's coming, bro. You're probably not bro. You're probably not of us, but it'll, God will take care of all that. I'm saying don't, don't, don't condescend to, to do it the way they do it. Don't, don't do it. You've got to have a commitment to spiritual principles and truths that is above those who disregard them. Did you get that? Your commitment to spiritual principles and truths has to be above the fact of those who do discard the same principles. In other words, you've got to say, I believe in them. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do what's honourable, even when other people don't. That's what I'm saying. And this is the mark of godliness. Our Saviour was this way. He was this way. Uh, be careful. All right, let's move to get you out of here. Um, you know, David understood that if he was going to prevail in this situation, he had to stay godly. He had to stay godly. And even when, and I won't turn there, but even when Shimei comes and, you know the story, some do, where Shimei throws rocks and there's cursings and, and David is, is, is being mistreated by someone that he, he could have dispatched. Uh, he, just, he just says, let it go. 2 Samuel 16, verse 12, he said, it may be, that the Lord will look on my affliction and the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. He understood, if I handle myself right in the midst of this, God will send good things back to me. And that's, that's the way you've got to be. See, do you trust God? Do you believe God? Do you believe God can sort it out? Do you believe that God can work it out? Do you believe that God can take care of it? You don't, you don't have to do it yourself. Humble yourself before God and God will take your cause on. Are you listening? You humble yourself and God will enlist himself in your cause. But if you act godly and you act fleshly and you act un, you know, ungodly, I should say, then you lose God's help with that situation. And everything I'm saying to you played out with Ahithophel and Absalom and David. And it all, it, all, it all played out. And you get to, you know, where they were plotting and planning. Uh, in ver- look in 2 Samuel 15, verse 31. It said, And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And so they were plotting... And they were planning, but David was praying. 
And that's what I ask you to do. I ask you, if the church gets assailed, I ask you to go to prayer. If, 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 if the godly get assailed, I ask you to go to prayer. I, I ask you to plead the case to God in prayer. I ask you to, 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 to fight the battle in prayer. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I see that play out where I minister all the time. Absolutely, absolutely, but it happens here as well. And so the end of that in Ephesians 6, 12, where it says that, verse 18 then says, praying always. Praying all, pray, pray. Get God on your side. Get God to be your defence. Humble yourself before God and God will fight for you. And, and, and do that. There was a man shared with me who a, a businessman had cheated him in business and, uh, uh, you know, didn't pay hundreds of thousands of dollars that was owed and it was a pretty clear-cut case and this guy was, you know, borderline about to go under and he just prayed and he prayed and he did what he could do and God turned it and God can do that. And, and that's the spiritual response to, to the things that we see when there's uh, hurt, when there's divisions, when there's troubles, uh, when there's an Ahithophel, when there's an Absalom in the midst. Pray about your hurts and pray about your hurters. And ask God to, to undertake that and use it as an opportunity to get to ask the Lord to help you to be godly through it all. God, help me. You know, we turn the cheek in offences. Sometimes people offend us and we just want to give them a smack back, but it's godly to just be humble and just, just turn from that. And, and the world won't understand that. Preacher, why don't you answer your accusers? Preacher, why don't you answer when they say this? You know it's not true. You know they're just giving half-truths and stirring the pot. You know that really it's just about their personal agenda and their personal hurt and they don't really care. You know, you know what they're doing. Why don't you call it out? Why don't you answer them? I'll just go to prayer and I'll plead my case to God. And the same God that has sustained me all these years... I'm confident we'll do so. And I'm talking about a, a spiritual church doing spiritual things in the face of adversities and uh, being godly and dealing with hurts in a godly way and stop the gossip, you know. They say this and, and, and I know there's always something you can say but, but just stop it, just don't answer, go quiet. I'm thankful that my ties have mostly learned this from me. And they don't talk about other people. Even when there's hurt, there's just quietness. And I'm thankful for that. They've learned it. And I learned it from Brother Fisher. I watch things happen to him. I watch people post up YouTube videos and slander him and put up a whole bunch of lies and half-truths and things that wasn't even correct. But, you know, put it up and say it enough and someone will believe it. And I watched him just not answer it, not say anything. Kept on doing good. Kept on working for God. Kept on coming beside other people who were hurting, never talked about his own. I watched him when he was assailed and had some hard things in the family. And I just, I tried to learn from that. I said, God, I need to be that way. I need to be that way. I was much more a fighter when I was younger. Um, but I'm glad most of that's out. I want to be a prayer. And I want to just, I want to be godly. And I know when things are said and you're misrepresented or any of that happens, I, there's always hurt. But that's my opportunity to be like Jesus. You understand? It says pray for those who despitefully use you. 
You can't apply that verse till somebody does. Hello? You can't apply it till, till the day it happens. And now you can say, oh, I can live that one. Right? When they offend against you and you've got to forgive and forgive and forgive, you can't apply that until someone offends against you. When people talk about you but you refuse to talk about them. And I'm just telling you that, that God sees all of that and you'll have God on your side and he'll help you. And if you'll just be godly, God is with you. And he will not allow the enemies to prevail against you. Ahithophel's end is spelt out in chapter 17, verse 23. If you don't know and you love a gruesome verse, this is one. <clears throat> it said, because Ahithophel's a smart guy. It said, and when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed because God was frustrating his working against David. He saddled his ass and arose and got him home to his house, to his city, put his household in order and hanged himself. Now, if God, if God tells you the way somebody dies, it's, it, there are connections there. Hello? So you know how Judas went? He hanged himself. Do you know how Absalom went? He was hung up on a tree. Do you know how Ahithophel went? He hanged himself. And this is the Holy Spirit putting a, an illumination on a very bad end. Because when you get numbered with those who are betrayers and liars and disloyal and all of that, it always comes to a gruesome end. And you don't want to be numbered with that lot. So don't do it. Be godly. Be godly. If you're sitting here tonight and you're not hurting, you, 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 it's you're easy for you to go, yeah, be godly. But it's going to test you when you really get pained inside. It tests everybody. It tests the best when you really get hurt. Or it's not you. Someone, it's, it's someone does something to one of your kids, someone you love. And it's going to test you. Be godly, be godly, be godly. Be godly. Keep God on your side. Pray, pray. If I come under attack, I want, I want you to pray for me. That's what you can do for me. You go to God and plead, plead for me. Because God can deliver. God can help. All right, let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer. And then uh, song. I guess, and uh, we'll be done. And thanks for uh, letting me uh, preach to you tonight and just uh, say what some things here that I hope in some way might stay with you or help you in the hour of your own testing. Uh, pray for us as we go back to our ministry, please. Please don't forget us. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. You've put things in your word to help us know how to live. And we thank you for this story. It's kind of sad, Lord. It's a bit, it's a bit troubling and we wish these things didn't happen in life, but sometimes they do. But we pray, Lord, that we would do that which is pleasing to you. We'd be Christ-like. Lord, I want to be like Jesus. And sometimes it's hard. But please, by your spirit and by your power, change us. Change those whose mouth is far too loose and help them to change. Uh, change those who gossip. Change those who think vengeful thoughts. And Lord, help us to be like thy blessed son, because we need you and we want your blessing on what we do. I pray for the church, Lord. Thank you for the encouragement the last week was. Such a blessing. It was, it was encouraging to us to see so many here, having to put chairs out and, and just see people getting blessed. That was encouraging to us, Lord. And now as we go forward, we, we know, Lord, that 
as sure as Amalek came, things can come. But just keep us godly, keep us right. And I pray, Lord, that nobody here would be numbered amongst those who depart, but they would finish their course with joy and they would endure faithfully until the end. Lord, we are expecting you any time. And may we be found ready, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.